0: welcome back never sleepers you're listening to rns on never sleeps network this week we have four new podcasts monday tuesday wednesday thursday every week tuesday you better don't wednesday speech bubble thursday blue suit thursdays and be sure to check out our latest podcast launch launched last week the potato files with jeff paul first episode is with rob Pugh, and that's every other wednesday just like this episode of rns is every other monday in this episode of RNS, I had the pleasure of chatting with a favorite comedic personality of mine. Since I discovered his YouTube docu series, The Urbane Explorer, I sat down with the great Jeremy Woodcock. It was so hilariously satisfying having the opportunity to meet Jeremy in this interview I got the inside look into his brilliant and silly look at life, something I can relate to, and we did have this great connection during the interview, and as good as Jeremy is on stage with the Get Some Sketch and Improv troupe, and on screen, Jeremy truly shines as a writer working with the new comedy publication, CBC Comedy. And of course, writing for this hour has 22 minutes. Wow, Jeremy, just like his writing, he is fun, thoughtful, and an absolute joy to be around and collaborate with. So please enjoy my fun and interesting chat with the talented Renaissance Gentleman. Jeremy Woodcock on this episode of Ross Never Sleeps on Never Sleeps Network. Welcome Jeremy Woodcock. How are you doing today?
1: I am so good. I am uh, full of spaghetti and that's when I operate at my best. I don't know about you.
0: And where did the spaghetti come from?
1: It was from my ho- was originally from the store. Probably originally from I want to say Italy, but I'm probably just going to say <laughs> a field somewhere, wheat, just mixed it up and and enjoyed it. Are you a homemade sauce kind of guy? I very often am. I was not in this case. Come on. I was which, to which? To, to say that you're of, a
0: homemade sauce oh, kind yeah, of guy. Yeah,
1: I love to throw in a... I don't know what I'm doing. I've never looked at a recipe in my life, but I love to cook. And I'll just toss in a bunch of tomatoes, cook them till they're soft, then throw in some onions, cook those till they're soft. But I don't know what I'm doing.
0: So are you an experimental foodie?
1: Yeah, very much. I take like the the idea of what a food... Like we think of, oh, there's like there's probably basil in that. And I'll just throw it in whatever combinations and it'll turn out... uh you know, bad the first time and then good the next time. When it gets to,
0: better every time. Sure. I,
1: when it's ready to give to people who aren't me.
0: What have you, <laughs> what have you mastered that um, you I, could say I think I mastered
1: spaghetti. Weirdly. I have also mastered sushi because I, uh, <laughs> cause you, you either know how to make sushi or it's a da- disaster. So I tried to do it and then, um, inevitably you figure it out because otherwise you're just holding big falling apart pieces of seaweed in your hands.
0: You're such a food guy. I I, 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 I see am. you as a food guy.
1: Yeah, I appreciate
0: that. And I wanna talk about your urbane explorer later on, I'm going to get ahead of myself quickly, just because you do these amazing kind of mini segment, almost mini docks, mm-hmm. and we're going to get to that. But in, in those docks, you always have these kind of food segments. So, I mean, you've only done a few, but those two stand out the most for me. You were at the Pearson Airport uh, discussing lunch, waiting for a flight. Yes. Um, the exhibition where you're literally, it's a couple of years ago. So you're eating the, the fat at the time, uh, the chocolate covered fried chicken, mm-hmm. and some guys even like walking by you yeah, during were your shooting. Curious,
1: Yeah, people were surprised I would eat it. Yeah, I love food. Any of those episodes that can have food in them, because there's one where we're on a frozen island and, th- and there was just no food anywhere. But any time there is food, I'll turn that into part of the exploring because food is a very, you know, discovery based thing. So are
0: you one of those people that, you know, live to eat, not necessarily eat to live?
1: And uh, <laughs> I think so. I think so. I, uh, I try to use it more as fuel nowadays. I love food. I could eat till, you know, as much as is put in front of me, but I try to be aware, more aware of it now.
0: You're looking in shape. Well,
1: thank you. I, uh, I've been exercising a little bit. A little bit. Get my brain, uh, work. I've been doing it one day at a time. I just sort of thought like it was a very like minimalistic decision of not like I'm going to get in shape, but like if I exercise in the morning, I'm going to think better that day. So that sort of became what's your routine? I go to the YMCA and I'll either uh, get on the elliptical uh, like a Madman for 15 minutes or I'll, I'll lift up some weights. And I'm still, fi- again, totally not the way you, everything is available on the Internet now, but I'm just kind of figuring it out myself, figuring what works for me on kind of a blank slate. I was, the the weight section was sort of intimidating for 20 years and now I just sort of wandering around trying it all out.
0: I like your similarities between cooking and going to the gym.
1: That's just me. Yeah. Everything. (laughs) And and just like on that show, it's like, this is how I operate. I just figure there'll be new things I'll discover if I don't know, if I don't assume what I'm doing going in.
0: Well, you seem like the type of person that you're just going to do it.
1: Yes, that's true for (laughs) better or for worse. And, uh, and I like it.
0: Well, I want to talk about how much of a doer you actually are because okay. you've been throwing it out into the social medias lately that you're interested in doing your own podcast. <laughs> yes. Which is why I'm so excited you're here today. Nice. So tell me more about, you know, whatever you can tell us, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, well, there are, I had, I had a couple ideas. One is very comedic. It's like sketch based sort of turning like, basically, I love the way podcasts remove of anything that removes the fifty steps between the idea and making something, and not because like I don't love my favorite TV shows and movies and stuff, but it's when the production process prevents the thing from ever being made. So I thought like a, a comedic podcast would ha- result in things rather than people planning to film all the time and and you know write a TV show and develop it for two years, but just get something out there regularly. But the other one idea I've had, I sound like I, I'm a podcast factory, but I. Uh, I have an idea that's sort of based around the same thing of curiosity and discovering and learning that I'm really into. That it's sort of always been my, like, I love to read. I love to, and I wanted to bring that with, like, do it with comedic people. But rather than uh, just focus on that, focus on, like, actual topics and subjects that we're all curious and learning about and deal with it with comedic people.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So, let's throw out, who would be your perfect first guest and first
1: topic. Well, I think of all the experts in the world, but my First perfect guest, who I know has been this show, would probably be Mark Little, just because he's my ideal choice for everything. And I think he'd be like, here's Mark Little, everybody. And they'd they'd laugh and then they'd be on board. My thing would be whoever thinks they're a real expert in, in something and wants to talk about that thing. Half of it would be who's an expert in something. And then they would talk about something that they don't know about at all, that they're curious about. And then we talk about that for a while. And because I can sort of talk about anything, um, whether I know it or not, that would be the, the idea.
0: Well, you work regularly with Mark Little. Mm-hmm. You guys yeah. were both in the sketch troupe Get Some, Get some. with uh, Laura Silovitz, Miguel
1: Rivas. Yeah. These are some heavy hitters. Sure, yeah.
0: You guys won the Montreal Sketch Fest. Yep. Was that last
1: year? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was earlier this year. Earlier this year. Yeah. What was that like? It, it was wonderful. There's nothing like doing c- comedy with those guys. And this Montreal, was a, it, it's a whole thing because it's such a tight knit community there and you go for sort of four days and just celebrate comedy and people. So it was really great. And then the the, the winning thing was almost like, a, you know, an afterthought. It was like it was really neat. I think the same troupe had won it for years in a row. But mainly it was like it was amazing to do comedy there.
0: How does a sketch competition work <laughs> exactly? Well, the,
1: let me just say there are too many comedy competitions these days. <laughs> tell me about it. Anything that offers opportunity or something, they're like, yeah, just win or get, get everybody to come out, tell your friends to come out. But uh, they just, I don't know, because they had a few things. They had like a local troop and then like best local tro- and best new troops. So they were good. It was good to like get the support that, but I know, uh, after like we did our first show there was a lot of talk about us which that's what you want really like to do a good job not be like wow these people are gonna be great but they watch a show and then people are like oh you got to see their next show like they they put on an enjoyable show because you just want to make people have a really good time so if we want it based on who had a great time then that's good that's what I'm glad about.
0: everybody's a winner at the yeah. montreal sketch Fest. let's Absolute. be honest Bien sûr. <laughs> I like that you bring up Mark Little because I feel like your two energies are very different. What's sure. it like working? Because he's, you know, Halifax's picnic face. Like, sure. I mean, he's almost kind of sketch, you know, royalty sure. in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. And even Laura Silvitz and you guys, and, you know, Skechersons, mm-hmm. there's a lot of family members that have moved from there to here. Yes. What's it like working with like
1: Mark? Well, with Marcus, it's, it's like uh, I'm, I'm picturing him listening to this right now and being like, oh, my God, stop talking about me. So I'll do, do a it. But no, he's great at comedy. He's a great gift to the world of comedy. So like when it was funny when you say like we're like different energies or whatever, because I feel like he has he can cover all of them. Like he could do the the soft or the straight man or so. what impresses me about Mark is what impresses me about. My favorite people in any field, which is that they're really good at something and they also try really hard at it rather than like coasting like people who are good enough to coast or people who, you know, don't don't have it all together, but want to try harder. But this is like a person who like realizes that they are capable a lot and understand comedy so well and just want to like work hard to create good stuff. And that's what, yeah. He's very hardworking.
0: There's no question about that. And I think that's what Toronto brings to the comedy landscape more than like L.A. and New York and Montreal, maybe. In the sense that we have to try that much harder. Hmm. Therefore, we are trying that much harder. Sure. And then, you know, you'll get seen by other cities or other countries and they'll be like, oh, wow, there, something's really
1: going on here in right. Toronto. Why is everybody trying so hard? <laughs> yeah. Hopefully people try everywhere a bit, but I, I know what you mean. And I, it could be for different reasons. For me, I, I put a lot of time into it because I started a bit late and you're like, you know, I don't know if growing, I feel like growing up in LA, if you wanted to do comedy and you were like 13, you'd be like, okay, I know where to go do this. And I didn't know where to do comedy for so long. So now you sort of burn the midnight oil once you figure out where to do it for me.
0: So let's talk about where you started. Mm -hmm. Uh, Born and raised in Whippy.
1: Yeah. You went to Laurier for English. You've you've done your thing, research, or I forget that I told you this. Already. No, no, I've done some research.
0: <laughs> then you went to the Humber comedy writing program. Yes. So was it in Whitby? Was it in English where you're like, I don't know if I want to study. Did you get your full degree even in English? I did
1: get my full degree. Okay, great. I went to uh, university thinking I knew, I always knew I wanted to write. I discovered that in high school. But I didn't really um, know where to just that thing of where to go. Like, there's no if you want to be a doctor, you just do take this next step and next step. But writing or being comedian or musician, all these things that that are my abilities, I didn't know the route to take. So I went to an English program being like, oh, I'll become a writer. But it's more reading and analyzing other people's Absolutely, things. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I did it. But then when I, I sort of found things through there and like fringe festivals started writing plays and I was like, well, let me find a place to write you know that's specifically for writing. So have I, you written plays? I did I have. I uh I wrote the Wolfred Laurier Fringe Festival best play winning uh The Jeff Goldblum Experiment. Wow. Where I played Jeff Goldblum uh, assisting a college student to help make uh the right life choices for an hour.
0: Oh, forget Montreal Sketchfest. You've been winning awards for, for a long sure. time. Big
1: winner from way back. <laughs>
0: Great. So then you're like, I need to progress. So Humber is like my master's yeah, version. I just of- felt like
1: on the outside looking in. I had no idea. Like I was, you know, done university. I knew people did comedy. I literally had no idea how you get to it. So I just went to this program, not the comedy program, which a lot of people are like oh you must have gone to that one but i went to a tv writing one just thinking like well i watch colbert i watch the daily show i watch these things and maybe if you just like go to this and close your eyes and work hard that you somehow come out the other side in that industry which i had no idea how to get into
0: i thought it was a specifically comedic writing program no. so it's television writing that yeah you it's used to television hate. writing but you had an influence in co- comedy and that's where you proceeded. for sure yeah 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 okay great so you are living at home at this time? Are you commuting from Whitby to Laurier and then Whitby to, Humber? I, uh, I
1: moved to Waterloo to go to Laurier and then, uh, I, but it was a real mom's boy and went home all the time. But then, uh, Humber, I, I moved literally across the street from my school because I knew that I, Again, you. If, if people have watched The Urban Explorer, I, it's hard for me. I'll get lost, various things. So I knew if I lived a two-minute walk from my school was how I would get the most out of this year. So I lived in a terrible basement apartment, very, very bad, uh, that flooded several times oh. across the street. So that I had literally a two-minute walk to school and could never be late and could at least, like, put my all into that year. And all I did was just write comedy and, and go to school.
0: So you mentioned Colbert. Yeah. Uh, Who are your other influences?
1: Oh boy. I love, I love a a Bob Newhart is a favorite of mine from way back. Yeah. Childhood was like Newhart, Seinfeld, Monty Python, a lot of Monty Python. And then I got into a lot of uh, like comedic writing, like a, a, Dave Barry was was where I discovered sort of the comedic, like, on-the-page writing, but a lot. And then up to, like, Norm Macdonald, Paul F. Tompkins are, are some of my favorites right now. Nate Bargazzi. I feel like the day, the day I stop having new favorites, I'll get really worried, but Nate Bargazzi is my new favorite lately, so I like to say that and be like, oh, I'm still discovering.
0: There's a little bit of a trend with the people you name. Okay. You're naming sarcastic comedians smart comedians sure. i mean paul f Tompkins, uh norm mcdonald's Ooh. like they're dry wit I think comes from an educated, not maybe book smart, but definitely like world smart, right, right? Right. Yeah. And I and I kind of put you in that light. You know, you you're very sarcastic. You're punny. Mm-hmm. You know, you know how to stretch a bad joke. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Yeah. But that, I appreciate that, and, and especially Norm MacDonald. Oh my God, talk about stretching bad jokes and making them funny. So
1: you have all these. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I just feel like it's all in the delivery. It's funny when you're you're writing a new joke for stand up or you're tweeting something. Sometimes you have a great joke and you just deliver it and then sometimes you have a terrible joke and then you just like you the second half of the tweet is a plea for people not to vote you off twitter and something and that becomes the joke but it's all like use your material and then frame put the silly jokes or give them to a character who's supposed to be weird in a sketch but use all your material but knowing where to where to put it and how to deliver it
0: did you ever see yourself doing stand-up or acting or was it always i gotta be the writer
1: that's a good question i uh the time I got really into comedy was in a little improv workshop in high school. So it was all not writing based at all and, uh, performing. And then there were just no other outlets, but I really loved doing that. And I feel like I I love performing on stage. It's just that I'm sometimes I'm just able to not do that. Like I can sit down and write the whole day rather than I'm very like have that introverted side. So I love to perform, but sometimes choose to just, uh, do a lot of writing instead. In a
0: perfect world, would you be able to continue both or? Yeah,
1: I'd love to do both. Okay, great. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And where did you start getting gigs? So you're out of, you know, college, you, you've done your right. television writing program. You're, you know, you have the accreditation, mm-hmm. the accreditation yeah. you're ready to. Does not go a long way. Yeah. You. I mean, that's that, and that's kind of the trend, right? You, yeah. You, you just because, you know how many comedians do you know that are from that program that are still working in Toronto?
1: Um None. I... Oh, really? Well, the...
0: maybe the comedy program. Sure. I'm, I'm mixing oh, oh up. the comedy uh, program. The, there's a ton from the comedy program. Yeah, From yes, The yes, comedy yes. program. Well,
1: see, for mine it was the the TV writing, and so people would leave, finish that program. Yeah, there are a ton of i um, for comedy grads um, who are great. People would sort of, it was encouraged to like get writing and get home and start writing scripts. And I realized like, if I, if I do that and send these out, nobody knows who I am or so. So I had to start, that was why I decided to start performing live because I spent a summer writing scripts and sketches and things just theoretically. And it was like, I'm going to send these to agents. I don't know who agents are. I need to do this and this. So it became like perform on stage and that's how people will see your writing. So that was sort of how that happened for me to like show your writing on stage. That's good advice. I, I think so. And yeah, absolutely. Then, yeah. And then somehow let people know that you wrote that. What
0: was your first gig?
1: Well, there was somebody who had graduated at Humber who started doing filmed sketches. And we we did a couple of those. But then uh, somebody added me on Facebook and uh, was trying to start like a sort of Upright Citizens Brigade type sketch like roster of a bunch of sketch troops and they started it and I saw that just from this stranger adding me on Facebook and I uh, submitted to write for it because I didn't know any outlets in Toronto for comedy and then I joined a sketch troop through that called Rulers of the Universe and then this whole thing like school or whatever the project was fell apart after like one show but we kept going and mostly other troops didn't and i think and rulers of the universe went for like five years is that with paul beer that's with paul beer the great paul beer
0: he was our first guest on this (laughs) show and he, and he talks about you and rulers of the universe.
1: Yeah, yeah. He, uh, my, basically my introduction to sketch writing was, and this is like my thing with sketches, like writing for Paul Beer. Like I, <laughs> the most exciting thing about a sketch troupe and and something like Get Some is like this cast that have all these, like idiosyncrasies and skills that you don't have but you can write you can create a character based on a chris wilson that would not exist otherwise you know if you're just writing for yourself you don't act like this so yeah i started by uh, seeing how loud and hilarious paul beer is and just writing characters that he could be loud and hilarious
0: shout out to the wonderful paul beer yes very funny
1: yeah so funny
0: <laughs> Uh, so, recently, you've been writing for CBC Comedy, their online kind of comedy publication. Yeah. Uh, and This Hour has 22 Minutes. Right. Did those kind of come hand in hand? Were you in the CBC building doing one show, and then they're like... No,
1: I uh, I spent a couple years, I've spent a year in Halifax writing 22 Minutes, and then last year I wrote it from Toronto, and then CBC, I just in the last, like, month started over at CBC Comedy. So I'm in the building now doing that and helping them sort of build the digital comedy. Uh, Cause it's new. It's, yeah, it's, it's they transfer, like they had a, something called Punchline. They're trying to like build the, the CBC comedy and digital brand. So I'm writing a lot of uh, silly articles for that.
0: Yeah, and they're enjoyable. Yeah. Thank you. And they're they're so you. <laughs> Good. That's Good. what I like about them. Yeah. You're very original. Good. And I get that feeling. Whether it's watching you on YouTube or or seeing your you know, your name under a publication, I'm like, I know what I'm getting into. Nice. But when it's this hour has twenty two minutes, you know, mm-hmm. you're working with Kathy Jones. Yeah. You're working
1: with Susan Kent, Mark Critch. Are you working directly with them? Are you in the same room with them? Um for a year I was out in Halifax and then back in Toronto it was it's more you're sending off jokes and sketches interesting yeah it's 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 a great setup there it's like the writers are upstairs from the but it seems like very old-time TV like you're 10 feet away from where it's being filmed and sometimes you know the producer will run up and we need a new punchline. like we need a blue new blow line oh, for that's the sketch cool. and then everybody writes down 50 and then somebody runs down with it's very much like that uh, and it's it's almost fun. like Bob Newhart style, sure yeah you know like Please. you can
0: only imagine Imagine this kind of like, oh, no, this this especially in today's day where we're like, oh, current events are happening so quickly. How do we connect this to something that's ultimately going to be a great
1: punchline? And I think it creates great comedy, like both the willingness to turn on a dime and the slightly like. It's probably why a lot of movies aren't so great. Like the the machine required to change one thing has to go through so many levels. Whereas like a TV show or like a nightly TV show that just has a quick turnaround, you don't overthink things. So it makes you laugh and you put it on rather than like grinding it out.
0: Does uh, Sean Majumder or Rick Mercer ever pop their heads? And I know they're not necessarily in the cast. Oh, or, uh, or... Sean is. Oh, Sean sure. still is. Sean still is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Rick isn't. No. But he's in the building.
1: No. 22 shoots in Halifax. Whereas uh, the CBC building is in Toronto and he, he's from like, he works in Toronto now. So they film it in the CBC building in Toronto. Okay. Rick.
0: Right. The Rick but, Mr. Uh, Report.
1: But yeah, you get a lot of like, yeah, Sean Majumder will be like uh, working on this. Yeah. You sort of like, sometimes um, the cool thing about working with actors who write as well, they'll come to you and they'll be like, I have this character. I know what they're like, but what is like, what's the sketch for them? And then you would just sit down and hammer that out, like sort of the, the, when the performer can also write, it creates like, you know, you're sort of a transcriber and writing jokes and you're putting the script together. Well, the, but they, a lot of their ideas come from, you know, walking around and acting it out while you both right. figure it out. That In that case, very different energies, more of like a writer at the keyboard and then the the actor, like sometimes who can only like, who can come up with the lines best when they're just like improvising it and acting it out and feeling what the character would do.
0: I, I'm glad to know that, that Sean is still working on the show. These guys are figureheads. These yeah. are... I mean, Mark Critch, especially and, and Kathy. I mean, this show has been on for people that don't realize it. The show has been on for over two decades. Yeah.
1: And it keeps rolling. Yeah. It's uh whatever they figured out, it it's people want it. People, you know, a big enough audience wants it that it, it works. Like what, they,
0: what's it like writing for a show that's been on for twenty years?
1: Well, one there's a there's a reticence at first, and then and then what leads to like relaxing is that you don't own the show. Like you're not going to reinvent. You're not going to say like, okay, guys, like this is what twenty two minutes is going to be like. Because it's by the time I started, I started in the twenty second season, so you know you feel you feel like, oh gosh, I need to do what the show is, but then you realize, oh no, I don't because. I, even if I try to do that, I'm not going to change the show if I do something wacky. So you then you realize like halfway through my first season or after a few weeks, I realize oh, I'll bring my energy, my specific kind of comedy because that's why they would hire you. Like if they could hire, if they just wanted somebody to write their exact show how it already is, they might do something different, but they bring in someone they think is funny and you just do what you do and they'll plug it in where it works. Whereas like the pressure of being like, okay, I need to, you know, I need to do what this show is, isn't what they want. They want you to, bring yourself and they'll they'll see where to plug it in i feel like
0: it's like a god a cult following mm-hmm. mixed with people who watch it not only religiously but there's people like me who i'll catch an episode right you right, right. know and and which is why i hadn't seen sean lately so I, it's good to know that he is still because yeah. he was my favorite always sean is one of the best comedians to come out of newfoundland let alone canada right more importantly though when you're working on a show that's been around for 20 years and you want to encourage maybe your friends or new people to watch, to watch it. yeah. How do you get them? Like maybe do you have a sketch in mind that maybe you've worked on or, or maybe not that you're saying, listen, watch this. You get a good feel for how this hour is, has 22 minutes is today.
1: That's a great question that I'm not going to have a great answer to. <laughs> um, I might have to get back to that. I wrote a okay. sketch about, I wrote a sketch about, uh, win, lose, or draw that, that did, like, got a lot of attention in the broader world. And that's sort of like anything that sort of tra- gets out of the show's world rather than the people who already watch it. It's a good question because what I keep thinking of is there's a guy named Greg Toomey who was in the original cast. He was there the first year and we all think he's the funniest person in the world and we write sketches for him all the time and they're very insane and they never make the show. So ask me to give you one of those scripts or tapes and that's, um, <laughs> really great. But, uh, yeah, a lot of, uh, things that showcase Sean are, are great because he's, he's such a talented, like, again, like physical actor too, which brings a lot of like energy to that show.
0: So you you touched on your win, loser, draw sketch. That was, of course, the one that got big media press because SNL kind of did a ripoff, supposedly, of that sketch. Now that's gotten a lot of press. I don't want to talk too much about it. Yeah. I want to maybe get a follow up. What's happened since then? Okay. Had, have you been contacted? Was there any um, resolution?
1: No, that's the difficult part. Uh, that there wasn't. Like, I didn't get any. That they're like obviously it's Saturday Night Live. If, if 22 Minutes is an institution, Saturday Night Live is like a quadruple institution. I sort of had to walk away from it because I never heard anything from them. Um, okay. It was not, it was like sort of an obelisk of like, well, I know what happened, but uh, if they don't say anything, then there's nothing for me to for me to say
0: when you originally saw the sketch for the first time mm-hmm. of the supposedly ripped off bit how did it make you feel did because i uh, you've been interviewed and you said somebody who uh, one of your <laughs> friends religiously watched snl said jeremy this is like a sketch i've seen you do yeah and then you watch it what's your instant
1: reaction i j- I, j- I think i probably if i'm being honest i probably just turned white and was wow. like it was probably just so surreal and be like but, but but like I probably if you'd asked me what was going on at the time I probably couldn't have. But I was like I was a bit in shock. I th- I was probably in shock. And then whenever I try to like rationalize or intellectualize my experience at that moment, it was just like what is going. On? It was like if you walked up to like saw your identical like doppelganger right when you left your apartment today. It's like wow. you can't like. There's a lot of processing and then and then trying to figure out what. What the heck happened?
0: Do you think it's like they're just some sort of big power that, you know, can almost do what they want and if they don't rip it off enough that you can actually say, hey, this is from this, this is from that, they kind of get away with it every time?
1: I'm so careful with this. I, uh, I think that regardless of that situation, that is probably the case. I think probably like if a, if something or someone is big enough... I also think whatever happened wasn't like this. Sh- wouldn't be like a big thing like that. Being like, we're because why would they need to? So I think it would be more like a somebody struggling to stay on the show, or something like a writer who would have who have done that sort of thing. I like the the like the idea because I've had to wrestle with this of like dream job loved that show like watched it with my friends religiously as a kid and then be like oh my gosh like my favorite thing in the world like you know did something to me and then it was like oh they like it you know anything you love i love about the show would have nothing to do with that like it's not lauren michaels didn't do that or the institution of saturday night live whatever whoever did that was not uh
0: I mean, I get it. It's, that's a great angle. And I, and I think that's a very respectful way of I'm overly it.
1: respectful. A lot of people have told me to let loose a bit more about all this. And I feel like I have to do it sometime. But it's like, I try to just, um don't want to burn down <laughs> the building or the bridge or anything.
0: Because when you go to SNL and for the, your next writer interview, you'd be like, just by the way. Right, yeah. it's <laughs> like you, You've oh, seen my
1: work. I wanted to write for this show forever. That hasn't changed. So it's like, I'm not gonna, yeah. I wouldn't say anything bad about them.
0: Well, let's change subjects. Okay. Um, I'm just more interested in Jeremy Woodcock, the person. So oh, that's me. Outside of writing, outside of working for major broadcasters, mm-hmm. you're working out, you're <laughs> eating well. What are some of your hobbies? What do you, um, what, you, know, what do, you do to entertain yourself?
1: Sure. I, uh, I, what do I love to do? I love to read. I love to uh, play music. I love to uh, go do trivia is a thing I like to do. But, uh, the, a lot of, yeah, the, the reading and the trivia are like things to do, you know, either in for the evening or uh, with my friends, but music is another like really big creative outlet for me. What do you play? I play piano mostly. That's what I started as. And then when I started, I write a lot of songs. And, um, so I started gradually figuring out guitar and bass and things to, record, like I record demos of the songs I write just as like a purely creative outlet. Important. Yes, exactly. I I had a thought the other day that it's important to work on something that doesn't have an audience that probably other people, you know, like a creative thing that like, cause it used to be like people might sit down and write a story or something, but now with the internet, everything can have an instant audience. So like to work on writing songs and, and learning new instruments and stuff and then record them. And I just... It's for, for a few years now and I just have all these songs recorded and they're just a thing I made and I'm working on and like sort of progressing, but not like an instant, like here's here world kind of thing. You know, we're
0: going to get a Jeremy Woodcock solo yeah, album. Sure.
1: Yeah. It's going to be like once I I'll release 300 songs all at once <laughs> rather than I read once uh, monks in, in Tibet, they'll, they'll write poetry, but they won't publish until they turn 80 so that public response to their, this, so that nobody's response to their work affects like what it does, you know, like a band will make an album and then they get a certain criticism. So they respond to that and make the next album differently. And you're like, Oh, you should probably should have continued just with your artistic impulse that you had. Um, and I've always been fascinated by that idea of like somebody obviously like, Hearing feedback is, is wonderful. But the, the idea of somebody just sort of following a path that, where it's not influenced by an audience at all artistically and seeing how that comes out and what twists and turns they make just based on their own response to their work.
0: I, I feel like that's kind of like a mental form of exercise. Just like going to the gym in the mornings, you know, you're getting your, your brain and your body ready, sure. having a creative outlet. Yeah. Is the same. It's almost like exercise for your brain. You're not a musician. You know, you weren't, you're not a a professional musician, but for you- pursue a craft, just like an arts and craft, or, you know, that's how I see it. It's just, it's good. You know, some people do crosswords, some people write music. I think it's all very important.
1: That's a very good call. And, and it's a very different part of your brain. Like the, the, the light, I talk about this with friends sometimes who are writers, like the life of being a person who creates stuff, the output can be so exhausting. And you can either like, you take, that's why I guess mentioned reading, like you need to take a lot of time to like realize, oh, I need to like recharge and I need to take in new things. Otherwise I'm just putting out the same old thing but for me i also like trying a thing like music it's just probably a whole different part of your brain and you're relaxing the like because my as you said like the punning and the word play like my brain is just was born obsessed with that so like doing a creative thing that has no words or is a completely different part of the brain yeah it's it's very relaxing
0: who are some of your musical influences
1: um i love Brian Wilson from oh, the Beach Boys, yeah, yeah I adore him.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, though. <laughs> as a, a, a music fan, mm-hmm. I, I, that has to be the guy on the top of your list. That guy is like the writer, creative genius of so much. But it, it, just him as a person, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, even if in interviews now, it's just like you can tell his brain is just constantly firing off sure. as a person.
1: Sure. Yes. Yeah. Um I love Van Morrison. Uh he's I've got into him more in recent years and it's sort of like a whole different thing of like, oh, the like expressive performing like the sort of less rational angle of it. The replacements I love. I love, oh gosh, I love, I've gotten into Steely Dan. Oh yeah. recently. I jump all over the place, but, uh, Asia is amazing. That album, oh man. So good. Yeah. I try to, uh, and then there are like, come like things you listen to for like more relaxing and then things where you're, yeah. Like a beach boys thing where I'm like, how is that? How did they do that? How did he develop that? And, and just like listening to uh, music as much as possible, especially because it's something you can do while you write. And my music habits changed a lot when I started writing for a living, and like writing all day. There's a lot of like more like jazz and classical and things where it's not words coming in your ears all day. But those are a few people. I- oh, and Guided by Voices is another band I love. Yeah, a lot, a lot of music.
0: You walked in with your headphones, (laughs) as you said that, you know, you never leave the house without them. So you're constantly, you know, you know, embracing music. Are you, do you go to bed with the radio on kind of guy?
1: Yeah, I'll go to bed with music on or podcasts, depending on like how much I need to decompress. If I don't want to, it's weird because I think about music and make music. But if I don't want to think at all, it has to be music on because I'm so words based. If I'm listening to a podcast, I just won't fall asleep because I'm listening to the ideas and stuff. Whereas music is more, there's a intangible thing that I, you know.
0: What are some of your favorite podcasts?
1: I love, um, and my introduction to podcasts was through, uh, one called the Battleship Pretension, which is a film podcast, um, and a good title. So then I, from that I branched, I have not explored the world of podcasts nearly broadly enough. So I branched off into the Slash Filmcast, which is another film podcast.
0: Have you ever done Pitchcast?
1: I have done pitchcast, yeah, yeah. Throwback to Paul Beer. yeah. I did. I think I did the first live one, and I played Michael Bay. I, I did the <laughs> podcast. This is actually it's nice doing this. I always feel like on a podcast, like being interviewed about yourself. I feel like you do it very well, and you're not oh, saying like, you. "Go ahead, talk for forty minutes." You're you're we're engaging, so that's good. Um Whereas usually, like something like that, I want to do as a character. Like so, I've done um like the. There's a, there was a comedy bar podcast for a while, and I would always come on as a character because then you there's this extra bit outside of yourself that you're coming from. Um, but yeah, pitchcast I did as always as a character and was super fun.
0: So you're a film guy.
1: I am. I'm a I'm a any kind of script anything guy, but film podcast is where I, the, you know what they're just longer. They're I love the the podcast, like the idea of relaxing people talking for an hour rather than like four minutes on a news cat, like interview. So like the long form, I also started watching like Charlie Rose when I list, started listening wow. to podcasts because I love people having like actual discussions where it's not a race. You know? Also very worldly. Sure. Yeah. 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 Well the, and the broad range, cause yeah, when you listen to if you watch something where it's like one day, the guest is like Quentin Tarantino. And then the next day it's like Kofi Annan. And it's like, where do the, and the, it's the same guy interviewing both of them. You, you it's it all helps you understand it all better it all ties together like just the world of ideas that crosses into various things
0: well you mentioned you're a monty python fan i feel Mm. like the british (laughs) have always been ahead of the game when it comes to either long form or kind of how they take celebrity and making them interesting and continually interesting i'm a big fan of the graham norton
1: show you know
0: i don't think there's anything like that in north america
1: yeah it's great it's great and the way they take it yeah, You want to say like a reverence or something, but it's just like a relaxedness where people are somehow being themselves. Graham Norton, just like, if he's talking to Tom Cruise, he'll just disarm them where everybody's just suddenly, you know, there's no haughtiness. There's no, they're showing the green room backstage during the interview. Like there's just something. They're all where, drinking wine. Yeah, right. So then if they're relaxed, if they just cr- assume a state of relaxation and like enjoy ability to make a word, then uh, it's just, it turns out so much better.
0: So... The YouTube show that you're making with Cameron Wiley. Yes. So Cameron Wiley is John Gape. <laughs> I, I, I just need this answer for sure. my own kind of um, nerdiness. John Gape
1: is a production... Cameron started it. Okay, his idea was that it would. Cameron is a a wonderful person and a very like has a grand vision of everybody working together. And his idea, oh, I love for John Gape, is a a collective of comedians who can uh, all work together and produce ideas and stuff. And I think it's still taking shape, and he's still figuring it out what it will be. And I don't know if it's it's me and him or it's him or it's a uh, a uh, the whole world in it. But it was what. Um, so the name under which we produced the first. But uh, that was the, uh, an early confusion when we put out Finding Basarian and the Urban Explorer. People were like directed by John Gape, which is just a name for projects, like a produce sort of production label. So, so but uh, yeah.
0: But you and Cameron are making these yes. videos. Yeah, uh, you've done about four or five. Mm-hmm. We did. Uh, yep. Yeah. When you did the Basarian or mm-hmm. the Basarian uh documenting, I fell in love instantly. I I didn't really know who you were. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching this documentary and I'm thinking, is this guy for real? (laughs) Like what is going on here? It's kind of so absurd that it works. And as, anybody that lives in Toronto, there's a lot of absurd shit that goes on in this city. And Bazzarian is the perfect subject matter for that kind of, you know, a man on a mission, going to go explore something in Toronto that's like readily available, easily accessible. But, you know, how many people are actually using, you know, the subway in general is always like um, a point of interest for, for Torontonians, whether you ride it or you don't. You know, it's something like a million people a day commute via TTC. So for you to, you know, then embark on one of our newer subway lines, which is, you know, a funny thing to say in itself (laughs) on the, the, the Scarborough line. Yeah. And you're like, there's only like four or five stops here. Who's using it. And if who's going from the Scarborough town center to Toronto or to get to the Toronto lines and stopping at, this, you know, middle of nowhere station. Yep. How did this come about? How did you, you um, think we're going to do a, like a mini, like
1: segment on this? So yeah, it's, it's like the perfect blend of like a lot of afterthought about it, not a ton of forethought. It was like being, so I, how it actually happened was I made a joke on Facebook about Berserian station and whether it exists. And Cameron, who is, uh, who has been like a big guy in the sketch community in Toronto for years and years had seen me perform at Toronto sketch fest. We met each other. He said, I'd love to do something sometime. And then as soon as I posted that status, he said, video, you going there and seeing whether it exists. And then we like a week later, we left his house and just went there. And he, I mean, he's an amazing, like, director, like filmmaker, he can film, edit everything. So it was like me just trying to be funny for a whole day, but in a relaxed way, like trying to entertain him and uh, then him piecing it all together as, as this film with, with his skills. So it was like the ultimate, like making a little joke, like that you make in five words on Facebook. And then in this weird way, making that exist, like as a, as a film that gets spread around everywhere that it was like, it was sort of, it's still sort of magic to me that it exists. And
0: when you are there, the actual joy that comes out on the video, it's (laughs) like, you've just like struck gold. Yeah, (laughs) It's unbelievable. So I would like to, hope that TTC has caught on in some form. I I would, has they ever, have they ever contacted you Uh, or
1: it's, I don't know how much they know who we are. We get, uh, I know Brad Ross, who's the head of the customer relations, maybe with the TTC. He's tweeted about it. What's weirdly like David Miller. It was funny because um, Cameron, like it was that, it was that kind of person that we thought might like this fit. And then suddenly David Miller tweeted about this video and has enjoyed our videos. And it was like, Oh, so these people who like love transit and stuff. And this was all stuff that came afterward that I became aware of, like, because you have to understand, like I thought, I literally thought 12 people would see it on YouTube. So all these things like intentions and stuff and thoughts of what it means come once there's an audience, but it was like a day out together And then, and then all these things afterwards of like, what are, what was I saying about transit about? And first I was like, Oh, I wasn't saying anything about any of these issues, but then you realize, Oh, you were just in like a different way. I'm coming from a different place and point of view. So yeah, TTC and Gord Perks, uh, the counselor enjoys them. And there's various people in Toronto pop up. Is that uh, interesting? It is interesting. And you start to think, Oh, did I know what I was doing at all? And that's when you fall back on the classic what all great comedian? what John Stewart falls about. I'm a comedian. Like anytime they're like, what are you saying? You can always fall back on the, like, I'll just put it out there. I'll, I think of it as a comedy video and then whatever interpretations go along with it.
0: Because you don't really have a stance. Like it, it's <laughs> going to exist regardless. It's and like, there's
1: some yeah. And there's something like, yeah, exactly. And yeah, it's not like tear it down and it, and it's not even like, I mean, I I said about like the curiosity and thinking and stuff, but like the main thing is like, I want people to really enjoy things that I make. So any, like, I was like, oh, I'm just trying to say as many funny things as I can that Cameron can glue together. And then whatever way that shapes together is really beyond you. Once it gets to like seven minutes of that and and the issues in the TTC or the Island or all the other episodes we've done, it's like all I can... If I f- think about that at all, I wouldn't be funny in them. I wouldn't be... I'd be like, oh, let me build a narrative. I just have to be <laughs> like, oh, look at that dog. Here's a joke about that dog.
0: Well, it's funny because, you know, I think... The majority of the people that have watched that video will never ever go there. They can't, they have access to it. If yes. they really wanted to go there tomorrow, they could. But yeah. it's amazing how few people will ever go into this multi million dollar construction yeah. build that is the Bizarrean Station. Very
1: true. There's like, yeah, yeah.
0: And it's super clean and beautiful. It's like, if you ever complain about the TTC, go to Bizarrean Station. It's beautiful.
1: I feel like we made them decide between like, because it's like we give them something and say, oh, you can go here. But then it's also like through the video... They're seeing it. Like, they don't need... They, yeah. it's, it's still, trust me, like, going somewhere is much better to experience it hands-on. But it's also, like, hopefully we're... And Cameron brings this up sometimes. Like, we're showing people something that they wouldn't usually experience because they haven't gone there. So whatever places we go and burrow into, like, when we went to the island in the winter, it's like, people could do that. But we make them not have to. Some people that they can just enjoy it vicariously, which is such a big part of life.
0: What are some other obscure... Toronto landmarks that you would like to explore?
1: Well, We have like, uh, whatever ones came about like the first day and we've never done. And I wonder if we ever, ever will do like we wanted to, well, the big urgent one right now beyond we're, we're working on like a bigger project of it and like really go forth with the show and make it bigger and stuff. But the one that's becoming urgent is the honest Eds Wow. because like doing an Urbane Explorer, wandering on honest Eds, that's like my utopia of like, not knowing what you're going to see and like, Hey, look at this. And how does this work? And, and things like my whole idea of, of comedy and and showing people things and stuff. And it's, it closes in two months as we record this. So that, that, well, like we thought of that like two years ago and then it's like, Oh, maybe we need to go do this sometimes. Well, what are you waiting for? Well, exactly. Nothing. I mean, it'll, it'll get done. It's going to get done. It's probably not
0: easy unless you get a permit or of sorts to kind of film in there. But I'm sure you could do some sort of guerrilla shoot. That in there. would be a
1: very guerrilla doable place. And For most sure. of our stuff has been great. And when we the only times it hasn't been, we didn't need to. Like we got all these permits. Cam, Cameron, again, <laughs> um, legit. Like well, yeah, we got like we were on a list where if we were at Pearson and people were like, hey, what are you doing? Well, check your list. And it has our names. And OK, go on, please do what you want. We were, We got on that. And then not one person asked us what we were doing. And security guards would walk by and, like, give us suspicious looks. But – and we, like, in our head, we would – I was dancing around and stuff because I knew if they said, like, hey, what are you doing? I'd be like, check your list. But they never asked us. Oh, you wanted to, though. You wanted
0: so badly I wanted them to ask. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So why were you at Pearson? Were you and Cameron going somewhere? You're like, no, we're literally going to
1: go to the – It was It was the opposite. Yeah, the idea was to go there when you're not going anywhere. And, like (laughs) – and you, you know, like, what is a... Di- it's like a eight-minute joke of, like, how you... A joke, like, you come up with an idea and then you just twist it. So it's like you come up with a place and then twist it. So in Pearson's case, it was the only time you ever go to the airport is to travel somewhere. So what if you treat that, like, as a... Destination. Yeah, a lot of my approach to comedy is to take that thing and then just twist it.
0: I like it. <laughs> um, what, another one I really like is, which is... A great title because it's a nod to some music legends. Forever Young. Oh, right. Yeah. Which has so much incredible pun and double meanings. And it's where you walk the entirety of Young Street with yes. Cameron. Yeah. Now, I'm going to ask you, did you actually walk the entire distance?
1: I close enough that I'm very proud of it. We okay. did. We did. We. Um, the thing was, we went to sleep somewhere overnight and then when we got uh, driven back to the main part, it was like, have we, like, where did we leave off? Where did we, but the only place where we might've skipped some time when we came back onto the course was Richmond Hill because Richmond Hill, I'm sure it's a wonderful place. I have family there, but it was, tw- it was going to be like 20 kilometers of fence. Like it was just suburbs. You're on the side of, so we, if we walked 18 of those kilometers instead of 20, but uh yeah, it was, I remember, um, like. I couldn't walk the next day. I I bet. Could, it's funny because, yeah, it's like things you do for two minutes at a time walking somewhere. If you do for, I don't know, we did it like 12 hours each of the days. So any like flaw you have in your, like I wear a messenger bag in those videos, just so sore and red because you brush your arm against it. Like if I went to Pearson and did it for three hours, but this was doing it like thousands and thousands of steps. So every little flaw in your daily movements gets emphasized and my shoes fell apart. And
0: Yeah. Well, they weren't looking too well, good those to yeah, those Those were
1: the Bassarian shoes and I wanted to make the whole series with the same shoes.
0: <laughs> so. <laughs> so you stopped midway or maybe three quarters of the way in, in Richmond Hill at a motel. Did you stay at that motel? Do you want...
1: uh, Behind-the-scenes secrets? I mean, as a fan, I
0: I, I feel like I'm having you on here just so I can do this for my own personal gain. Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, watch the video. Let's see if there are
0: clues. (laughs) In my head, Mm -hmm. there's that kind of, um, because I actually grew up there. I'm from Thornhill. Okay. So like Highway 7 and Young is where you kind of are at that lucky motel or whatever, that motel that's just been there forever. Yes. With the Shamrock. Yes. um, Near the Silver City Theater. Wow. Specific. Yeah, yeah. I'm from there. <laughs> yeah, you
1: are. You clearly
0: are. So I don't doubt it anymore. I just, in my head, if you stayed in that motel, mm-hmm. I think that's a story in itself <laughs> that I need to
1: hear about. Um, but
0: you also said you had family
1: there. Yeah, well, I didn't stay with family. Okay. I, I, no, Did as you sleep I in said, a car? Uh, <laughs> no, no, I didn't. That part, uh, well, uh, that's a story for another time. Okay,
0: anymore. okay, we'll but, have to have you come back then. Yeah. So is the Urbane Explorer going to be... Are you trying to make it a, you know, a 22-minute or a 30-minute series? Are Are you going the online route? Are you talking to CBC comedy? My
1: idea is to figure out how to do something bigger. Like, to make it, you have to, like, make it interesting for, like, to make it too so it's like as we continue to make these shorter videos i want to figure out how it could become like a 22 minute video especially because like i love things like um anthony bourdain show no reservations like these like 22 minute things where it's about like this curiosity and stuff And it's like well why couldn't this be that so while we like keep making these little treks, so I, w- I see like it would be silly not to figure out how i could make it into like a thing into a longer show
0: well cameron and you are doing a great job thank you he's I, he's yeah. brilliant I will watch any Urbane Explorer Good. and yeah. you should too. You want to plug your YouTube page, your yes. social media stuff? Yeah.
1: Um, well, my, I put it all up on my Twitter, which is JW pencil and pad. So you can follow me there. Um, and I put up links to uh, yeah, the Urbane Explorer, which is on the John Gape YouTube page, which again is slightly confusing, but it, just type Urbane Explorer um, and it all comes up and it's all in a little channel, all in a little series on there. And that's how you find it. I, it's funny. I am so dependent on Google now. I'm like, just Google Urbane Explorer. It'll come up. I Google my... If I need a picture of myself or something, I don't find it on my computer. I Google myself. <laughs> and I download a picture that's for, been used for other things.
0: Where did the Urbane Explorer come from other than your your crazy, wacky brain?
1: Um, it came from a list of like 40 terrible titles. Oh, I need
0: to hear some other ones that didn't oh, make it. Oh, my
1: gosh. I should have brought that. But there was there were things like... This, we Like side streets and like back street like things of like they were all about down with themes and one was like getting out of the way and stuff but then there was like the thing that you talked about like the my, whatever my approach to comedy is or something where like so then we started thinking like well what do people do in these kind of shows and they like go into sewers and they like this urban exploring thing is like climbing you know skyscrapers or whatever people do and this and my thing is not like that so urbane is like you know, like witty, sophisticated kind of thing. That's what it means. So it was like a little, but I I said it and I'm sure I said, Urbane Explorer, just kidding. Don't use that. And then <laughs> and then, it, Cameron was probably like, oh no, I think that, let's write that down. And then it became like, well, it's the least bad one. And the thing about names is like, it's just like band names. You're, you might never like it at first. And then once you get used to it, you can't imagine it another way. So it's like, this is the Urbane Explorer. Well it makes said. sense now.
0: Well, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Urban Explorer. Please make more. We are even if they just go to YouTube for now. Just yeah. start pumping them out because they're good. Oh, there will be more soon. Your style of comedy is kind of there's not of a, a lot of kind of dry, slow, witty in this slow city. Yeah, 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 like I, I like a, a comedy. I like the style of comedy that makes you think that you can go back and laugh about it, whether it's absurd, stupid, or even just like right on the money. Yeah, all I, kinds. I need to think about it. You know, there's a, there's a huge difference. I think. Good comedians get you right in the moment. Great writers who are also comedians know how to not only bring the joke around or kind of continue hitting the joke loosely. And then you finally bring it home. (laughs) I just, I need that. I need the bring back. You see me. I'm excited for you guys to come back and start doing some stuff, especially in the season. Now it's getting colder in the city. We need more live entertainment to get out of our houses and stop hibernating like some crazy Torontonians that we are. But to all my crazy Torontonians that are bundling up to this podcast, going to bed this evening, just like Jeremy Woodcock would do. You're listening to the Never Sleeps Network At NeverSleepsNetwork.com And this has been Ross Never Sleeps Sleep tight Bye